You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me, Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. You're going to want to do that, folks. March is upcoming, and it's the best month of the year, especially for guys like us. And I'm sure we're going to be getting some new listeners that are looking for some insight. I can't really provide you insights, but hopefully some good takes regarding college basketball. This is when all eyes are on college basketball. So make sure, like I said, you download, subscribe, rate, and review us. Your college hooper of the day. I'm just going to go with Damian Lillard, man. I know I try and go with the obscure names, the names where you say, oh yeah, I remember him. Damian Lillard just scored 71 damn points. That guy is unbelievable. I suppose you could call me out on not going with Donovan Mitchell when he did the same thing a few months back. But Damian Lillard, holy shit. If you really look at his meteoric rise from high school and his rival stats or or projection, whatever it was, to Weber State, to where he is now as one of the greatest scorers of all time, dropping 71 on the remarkably hapless Houston Rockets, but still, that guy is just unbelievable. Damian Lillard, from a college basketball perspective, because we're not going to be talking much NBA here for the next month. Hat tip to you, man. You're the college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at sub 232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Damble. Let's open the curtains. approaching the best month of the year. I cannot wait. And we got kicked off this past weekend with some incredible games and we will get into all of that. You had a bit of a whirlwind day yourself today. Uh, everything, everything all right there in the Daniel household. Well, Danielle was, my wife was uh, chopping uh, some vegetables today uh, while she was going to make a salad. And let's just say that the vegetables fought back and, um, causing her to make some slippage with one of our, this is, hold on, let me just back up here. Okay. Sue, you're married. Uh, you're approaching your year anniversary here coming up. Um, anyone who's married understands what I'm about to say. All Danielle has wanted for like six months is new knives, right? Like new, sharp, fresh knives. And then, so what does she subsequently do with these new, sharp, fresh knives and that's cut the tip of her finger off today while she was uh uh cutting some lettuce for a salad so uh fortunately we got her all glued up she's gonna be fine finger intact didn't have to amputate 
Um, but let me tell you something, Sue. Let me drop something on the listeners here that I haven't quite announced yet. Okay, so we were, yeah, we were going in there. So we we were just deciding whether we go to the emergency room, uh, urgent care, how serious it was. We kind of tell how much left was her finger of her finger was there, and we decided to go into the emergency room specifically because we are pregnant. Let's Yay. go, baby let's Dammel, go. baby Dammel coming September 2023, and we said, hey, let's just be. It's this. It's pretty minor. But let's just be safe. Let's not get any infections or anything like that. So that's my way. Would have been a way cooler way to announce it some other way. But now I just got to say that at least Danielle is, is less finger, more child, though. Uh, that's what's going on with her currently. What a makeup there. First of all, the moral of the story is enough salads. This is your warning to not eat salads. It's March. We're gearing up for basketball. Just get pizza, wings, beer. Has DoorDash ever sent you to the emergency room? No. Not, not for me, not for me. That's right. So, I'm going to also ask you that you know, I I'm surprised you didn't go with Amadeo De La Valle as your uh, as your college hooper of the week this week. And let me tell you why that name is brought up. So I texted uh, our host here, uh, Subi, that I randomly came across the name Amadeo De La Valle, and why I came across that name is because we were looking up Italian names for said child that's now on the way. So that's how I came across Amadeo De La Valle. Uh, and if any of you guys who are listening remember Amadeo De La Valle from Ohio State, the dude has had a massive glow up. Would you would you agree with that, Sue? Yeah, he looked like a character. He kind of looked like Napoleon Dynamite, like the without Maybe the worse. glasses. Yeah, back in college, he had a strap though. We always say that. Yeah, good dude. I actually really want really wanted him to come to Arizona. He was being recruited heavily by Sean Miller, but um, but yeah, no tough uh, tough day here. But yeah, you're, you you make a great point. If it's March and there's, you know, March madness and you're leaving the house for any reason, you, you need to have uh, you need to have your head checked, you know, get get your door dash. You're not cutting you're not cutting onions. You're not cutting carrots in the kitchen for an hour and creating a nice little healthy salad. That's getting you nowhere in March. That's not sucking up any or absorbing any of the alcohol or beer, or whatever, you know, in your system. You need something a little more girthy. Let's call it some buns, a sponge. Well, hat tip to you guys because you made it through. And what are the what are the best teams do? The toughest teams they survive in March, and that's exactly what you did. Amadeo Della Valle. I think we actually dropped him as a college hooper of the day because I was random. And by the way, I have DM'd him to come onto the program. No response. Maybe I'll follow up with him and let him know that hey, uh, if you come onto the program, our co-host here Taylor is going to name their baby after you. Well, if we have a we'll son, see. maybe if we have a son, well, is that Amadeo. not a gender neutral? Could that not be a gender neutral name in the Italian I community? I don't know. Go with I'll, Nico Mannion. If it's a son, how about that? He's yeah, an Nico, Italian that went to Arizona. Nicola. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll, I'll do some research for you with my Italian uh, brethren and get back to you on that. Yeah. So speaking of Arizona, I, we're, we're men of accountability and when we have to take our medicine, when we're sick, we do it. And that's exactly what happened on Saturday. You want to talk about sick. I, there's no other way to really describe it. We can, we can try and play it off. I think it's worse if you play it off with all oh, whatever, this doesn't move me, this, it doesn't matter, baby brother, that whole thing. I had a great tweet ready to go basically saying baby brother and ASU played Arizona very well in both games this year, which they did in Tempe on New Year's Eve. And then, of course, the shocking 
buzzer beater on Saturday and Mikhail ruining senior day, really. And there, there were a ton of buzzer beaters on Saturday, man. And, and before we dive into Arizona ASU, I want to equate what this weekend was like. You know, when you're walking home from a restaurant or the bar or anything, and you're like a block, block and a half away from your house and the entire walk home, you do not have to pee or poop. But the second you get like a block, block and a half away from your house, your body knows that it can ease up a little bit. It knows where it's at. And that's when the bubble guts start churning. That's when uh, some noise gets gets going in the derriere and maybe even the front. And that's why I equate it to this past weekend is because college basketball knows March is right around the corner. And they were like, you know what? Let's give you, I think it's five. Yeah. We had some five insane games. I mean, it was next level, starting with the one in Tucson, man. And, and if you missed it, I don't know what to tell you. But Desmond Cambridge, ASU down two, gets the ball uh, from underneath his own hoop, launches a half-court miracle shot. And and look, as much as it sucked to watch, the net swish, the the noise that it made was so orgasmic. Orgasmic. Hunter Dickinson had one, too, and we'll get to that. But uh, Taylor, I, I think let me first get your reaction. Mine was uh, I, I kind of just had a wry smile on my face. I was just like, of course, classic, whatever. Maybe this was for Sabatino Chen a few years back. But hell of a win for Hurley and ASU, not just beating your rival, but seriously improving your chances to get to the tournament. Boy, they needed, needed, can't say needed enough. Didn't want it, needed it. Needed it, needed it. Because they lose that. They don't have any other opportunities, really. I mean, uh, they play UCLA on Thursday. Um, That would have been their last opportunity to get any type of, like, major win. They pretty much, their tournament hopes would have been out uh, without winning the Pac-12 tournament. Um, But my reaction was kind of similar to yours. Your your text to me was actually so succinct, succinct, excuse me, and perfect. Ha ha is all I got from, from I got a hundred text messages from my kind of like pretty okay college basketball buddies, you know, ones who watch the Saturday games and like, you know, maybe a couple of random, like, you know, big Monday, Thursday games, whatever, but they're not like watching every college basketball game. Like we are trying to do. I got a million. Oh my God. Oh my God. Holy shit. Holy shit. And then, Subi encapsulated perfectly, which was my exact reaction too, which was, haha. But it was, it was. Uh, I'm not trying to play it off like you were, like you were saying here when I say this. If I take my U of A hat off, that shot was fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> I mean, just the flick of the wrist from, and you said half court. It was, it was more than half court. I mean, he gathered in You're front right. of, he gathered in front of Tommy Lloyd, Arizona's coach. Um, he didn't release it from in front of Tommy Lloyd, but he ga- he started to gather along the sidelines um, and then just kind of flicked it up. The defense by uh, Pella Larson was atrocious on this. I know everyone – that's the thing, right? I think this is a, a – that's a great lesson for every single team that's going into March Madness. The game isn't over until it's over. You can't just have a flippant like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll guess I'll try and like guard the inbounds pass or maybe I'll try and like put a hand up uh, when this guy is shooting a half court shot. You have to you can't give players good looks at anything because anything can happen. You know, think of uh, Gonzaga against UCLA in the final four uh, two years ago, two years ago, two years ago. 
you know, anything can happen. So you have to always be, it's a, it's a 40 minute game, right? So I think that's a good lesson, but boy, if you're, if you're uh, Cambridge there, you're talking about that moment until your great, great, great grandkids will know about that moment. Cause that thing was so pure uh, modern technology in miking up the nets has never been more uh, respected or more needed, more loved than that moment right there. That's like, they're going to use that sound of the net in like movies and TV shows and shit. It was just like, it was perfect. And I was outside, I was on my in-laws patio uh, by myself because nobody else gives a shit about this stuff. And I'm watching it and my jaw just drops and I give it, have a little smile and I'm like, Oh my, you know, Holy shit, Danielle, this just happened, whatever. But even outside with like the pool running, the father-in-law was like mowing the grass, whatever. You could just hear the go like through the, through the hoop. It was such a beautiful sound. Other than that, I hated it. But other than all those things I just uh, described positively, absolutely hated it. Yeah. I I think it was like someone jumping off of the high dive doing a perfect can opener or a cannonball right into the pool. And the, the second your ass hits the water, and it just goes up. Like that's kind of what I thought of when, when that shot went in, same thing with Hunter Dickinson, aside from that, actually breaking down the game and how we, how it led up to that point. I understand people's thoughts on Pella Larson, but that is so far down on my list. Oh, of sure. How sure, we sure, got sure. there. Yeah. But yeah. the thing is like, even I get what you're saying, but college refs are so inept that if you play hard defense or semi-hard defense and then you get called for a foul on that, like that wouldn't shock me. So I don't hate the fact that Larson uh, was kind of lackadaisical. I actually hate the fact that no one was on the ball, the inbounder, but even before, just more pressure, uh, not when he gets the ball and goes, right? Because at that point, you're basically just saying, well, if you hit a three-quarter shot, hat tip to you. And he did. But once Balo hits the second free throw, I think you got to pressure them and make them like well, grab Ballo the ball. shouldn't have even made the second free throw in the first I, see, Yes, I agree. So that's the other thing. I think Balo should have missed the second free throw. It does you no good going up two with however many seconds left. I think four or something like that. No, two? it was, it was 2.6 or 2.7. So, yeah. I mean, a rebound in that situation, even a clean rebound takes almost a second, which means yeah. the only thing you got is maybe a dribble and then maybe a, a baseball throw down the down the court. So, uh, Which is, it's, yeah, no, no, it's on. it's just so poetic though because again, if I keep going backwards in time, it's like we got to the finish line, and I'm moving backwards here in terms of my priority uh, of what I'm upset about. It's the missed free throws. That's what it did Arizona in. They were awful from the line, and you're gonna lose games like that in March for sure if you shoot sixty percent from the free throw line and it's so funny so poetic i say that because the one time we needed a missed free throw balo hits it so you can't miss all of those free throws and expect to win even and look asu is an all right team they're like a bubble team is an all right team there's arizona that actually might be arizona's quote-unquote best loss of the entire year uh, considering the way Utah is playing currently, it's it's either Utah or ASU. Uh, the other three losses are pretty abysmal in terms of Oregon, Washington State, and there's another team that that I'm blanking on that maybe you can help me with. But the like ASU is not a terrible team, and if you if you shoot that poorly, it, it's not going to be a shocker that you lose. I guess silver lining is well, you shot that poorly, and it took a three quarters heave to beat you when you were up two. 
Um, so those were some of my takeaways and how we got to that position. But credit to Bobby Hurley. I don't blame him for going crazy and doing the suck it sign and talking to to the the crowd because I mean he rarely ever beats Arizona. I'm not even trying to be a jerk. And that's just the fact of the matter. And some people were saying that his seat was getting a little hot. I, I don't necessarily know if I buy that. But I'm happy. I'm not happy, I should say. Uh, but he deserves to to chirp a little bit. Taylor, my next question regarding this is, are we worried about Azulis Tabellas because he's been a, in a bit of a funk recently? So that's actually where I was going uh, with my next take here. So I will say going back, to, before I go into Azulis Tabellas, I will talk about um, uh, Bobby Hurley for a second. His seat would be hot if he was actually at a real basketball school. Right. He wouldn't even, he would have been fired already. So, I mean, I'm not, I don't think. Bubble team is pretty good for ASU. Well, so, well, that's exactly the point then. Like yeah. that's, yeah. If, if, no, if I, bubble, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If bubble team is the goal, then like, yeah, you're probably fired at half of the power five schools at that point. Um, I do have some, uh, uh, a brother and sister-in-law who um, went to ASU. And of course I got the text from them and I, my response was, huh, that's funny. I didn't hear about the last 10 consecutive losses. Uh previous to this. So I got my usual fuck off when that happens. So that's cool. And I will also say, uh, shouting back out to, uh, my hometown of Fairbanks, Alaska, and you having that tweet about ASU queued up, uh, as how I felt about, um, this game as well, because the university of Alaska Fairbanks hockey team swept ASU foot or ASU hockey this week at ASU. And so I had an Instagram post ready to go that was like, man, ASU can't even beat fucking any school that I've ever had any uh, affiliation with in my life. Clearly that Instagram story never got put out there either. But let's dive into some real stuff about college basketball, and that's Azulis Tabellis. And I'm not concerned about Azulis Tabellis offensively. Azulis Tabellis is one of the five best big men offensively in the country, maybe even higher than that, one of the three best big men in the country. And so – you know, five games ago, he scored 40 points, whenever that was. So I'm not I'm not worried about his offensive side of the ball. He's still the leading scorer in the Pac-12. He's still the leading rebounder in the Pac-12 uh, on a team that has been top 10 all year. You know, a like a more than likely uh, first team All-American. You know, all, all of that stuff is accurate. All of that stuff is true. One of the most offensively gifted players in the country. But boy, when he has lapses on defenses on defense, he might as well not be on the fucking court. I mean, his defense was atrocious and I get it. If you're not being, if you're not able to play defense against trace Jackson Davis or, you know, guys like that, but you can't even name the guy that's working you on ASU, a, a, a bubble team. Right. And Stanford was the other loss that you uh, forgot there. He was in foul trouble in that game. So I can't necessarily blame him a ton for that. Other than the fact that he was in foul trouble. And I don't I just, even think Michael Keefe was playing that game for Stanford. I just, boy, I think this team, this Arizona team, has a real problem with, and I think you said it best uh, when we were chatting about this game is, and this applies to Azulos Tabellas as a microcosm, let's call it, of the whole team, and that is this team just doesn't take bad teams seriously enough. And you said it like if Arizona loses, it's going to be in the round of 32 when they play like, yeah, like 12 seed. 13, 14 seed, whatever, because they just go, eh, whatever, we'll just beat the shit out of them. You look at their losses, so they have some of the worst losses in the country of a team who's going to be most likely a two seed. I would say they're almost, no matter what happens the rest of the year, they're probably a two seed. 
Uh, I don't know if they can go 0 for 3, right? So get swept in LA and then lose the first game at the Pac-12 okay, tournament. Well, okay, I'm, let me rephrase that. If they lose their two, their potential two remaining games to UCLA, I don't think that affects them. Okay, if they get swept in LA this week, then then sure. But I don't yeah. think you get, yeah, yeah. you don't get, yeah, you don't get hurt. I mean, by, USC is going to be a tough competition. Sure, but you don't get hurt by losing to the number three team in the country. Yeah. You know, so shoot, we they only fell one spot in the rankings by losing to a bubble team at home, right? Yeah. We're just at that time of year where kind of like pretty much everything's locked in unless there's like a shocking loss. And if you look at the top 10, no, n- there wasn't that much movement no matter who won or lost, which is kind of at the time of year. Because if you look at like, again, we've talked about Tennessee before. Tennessee has seven losses and is still projected to be like a two seed, perhaps a three seed. So everyone's kind of locked into the general spot of where they're at. I think Arizona is going to be a two seed. They're out on the one seed unless some crazy shit happens, which could happen because Purdue is now just losing every other game at this point. Um, And, you know, everyone is going to have to lose in their conference tournament at some point, uh, except for the four or five power five winners. Right. So there's going to be losses that are going to be on the table, but that's going to be the problem is, is, these guys have played extremely well against UCLA, Indiana, Creighton, San Diego State, Tennessee, so on and so on and so on. But they just can't get up for these smaller teams. I don't even think I, I would call it, you know, I think most people would call it playing to your competition, but I'm not sure that's even what it is. I'm not, I, I'm not sure that's an accurate description of what this is. I think it's just that they can't figure out um, that they are – this team is not as talented as last year's Arizona team. And I think that they think they can win on talent alone sometimes, but they don't have a Ben Matherin who can just take over a game. Azulis Tabellis is close to that, but Azulis Tabellis is not a ball handler. Ben Matherin, you could just put it in his hands and say, hey, go go get me 30 tonight because we're going to need that from you. He won the TCU game. Right, and Azulis Tabellis is as good of a player as there is in college basketball, but you need Kirk Creasy to get him the ball, which is which is fine because Kirk Creasy is a, a, a really good college point guard, most assists in the Pac-12 this year. But it's always hard for a big man in college basketball in March Madness to get enough touches to take over a game. And so that's my worry, I guess, for this team is that if Azulis Tabellas can't play any defense at all, and if someone figures out a way to guard him well, um, are we going to get enough from Kirk Creasa, a Courtney Ramey, a, a Cedric Henderson, who actually played extremely well against ASU, maybe his best game. Uh, Him and Arizona. Ramey. Yeah, in, in, for Cedric Henderson, maybe his best game in an Arizona uniform. Um, but then also, yeah, the free throws. Um, and that's why I'm going to actually downplay it a little more than, than what you'd probably like me to, is I don't think Arizona shoots 60% from the line in a normal game situation. So the other thing I'm just going to pull back for a second as I get super long-winded here is um, I understand that winning the game, I know someone like the Shark would push back on what I'm about to say, but I know winning the game is the goal, right? That's our whole point here, right, is, is winning the game. But if you look at like Kansas versus West Virginia this weekend, right? Did Arizona and Kansas really play that much differently outside of a 75 or 70 fucking foot heave at the end of the game? Like West Virginia actually had a possession to win the game at the buzzer. And so I, I kind of push back a little bit on that, like, oh, Arizona failed down the stretch, yada, 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 which they did, which they did. I'm not saying that they didn't. I'm like, oh, Kansas toughed it out at the end. It's like, okay, well, if this dude doesn't win a, hit a one out of a hundred shot 
we're having the same conversation out of Arizona. So I understand that the goal is to win the game, and that's all we're really concerned about. But I often think this time of year, pre-tournament, we get a little hung up on that, like, oh, my God, this team, they're frauds because they lost on a 70-foot buzzer beater. But then this other team, you know, they won because this team didn't get a shot off at the buzzer in the same, kind of the same exact situation, same exact type of game format. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think a, a lot of what plays into that is the pedigree, the fact that Kansas is the defending national champs, and that, they always yeah that that helps. Like, yeah, they always go to the Final Four, or they're always on the one or two seed line. They're always winning the Big Twelve. I get what you're saying there, and this ASU loss wasn't the one that sort of concerned me the most out of all the losses. What concerns me in in the and the list of losses that we provided for Arizona is that they got beat down in a lot of their losses. Utah, not close. Yes. Washington State, not really close. Stanford, not really close. Um, and then this ASU game, I'm a little less concerned because it's like, yeah, it, it took that type of effort at the very end to to beat them. I want to go back to Tabellus, though, and what you had said regarding defense, because there were a few possessions, man, and actually right down the stretch. I think there was, I forget if it if it put ASU up one or cut the Arizona lead to one, but Tubelis is getting uh, posted up. He's on defense. He's getting posted up, and he reaches for some reason. I don't even think I'd see like an eighth grade defense do that it was it was just a pirouette reach and an easy drop step layup and oh, i was just he's getting, baffled he's getting drop stepped to death out there like but i was like at least at least stay in front of the guy i mean i understand the point of the drop step is that you get around him but he reached like he if you're getting drop stepped while playing solid defense i suppose i can come to terms with it but he's reaching for this stuff, man. And that's what's incredulous. And to your point about playing 40 minutes, I, I think this kind of goes hand in hand. Just having a sense of awareness and urgency. So he leads the the league in rebounds, which is great. I want to know how many of those rebounds have then been subsequently pickpocketed by him not knowing that there's a player right behind him. In the game, he came down and actually went to the floor and – just it didn't seem like there was any sort of urgency. Maybe he thought the ASU player was an Arizona a teammate guy, but some of those things are backbreaking plays because when you work hard for 30 seconds on the shot clock and you finally get a miss from a team like ASU that's shooting the lights out, you you not only need to secure that possession, you need to run the clock, and then hopefully for one of the best offensive teams in the country, you score. And so when you secure the rebound, go to the floor and then give it back to ASU to, to hit a three, that's what, those are the plays that, that lose you games. And obviously we talk about the free throws. I don't think that'll happen, but I've seen enough where there's just a lack of urgency from this team. And they they cannot have that in the round of 64 or the round of 32. I'm, I'm pretty damn confident if they get matched up against a UConn or like a St. Mary's or someone like that in the sweet 16, but the round of 32 and, and the round of 64, it's obviously going to be high level stress as it is. Seeing what this team has done, it's going to be that much more stressful. I was joking about it, but I almost want them to play like a Houston, Tennessee, Purdue, you know, because that because they can get up for it. And I will say this: I've I think Tommy Lloyd is an incredible coach. I cannot believe how fortunate we got in being able to hire a guy like Tommy Lloyd. 
you know, already maybe arguably one of the 10 or 15 best coaches in the country in year two, most wins, you know, quickest of 50 wins in college basketball history, yada, 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 all that. I could wax poetically for days about it. Right. But there, we forget at times that there are, there is still a learning curve for him too. We are talking about only the second year of him being a, a, a head coach at any level, at any level, the first time he's ever been the head man anywhere. And I think like that end game scenario at least in my opinion, was a good example of how green he is at times uh, in that you got to commit to a strategy down the, down the stretch, especially in those end game situations. Are we fouling? Are we missing the free throw? Are we pulling everybody out to not get a rebound? Are we getting everybody in there to try and muck it up and get a rebound? Are we missing the free throw? Are we making the free throw? All of these things, it felt like in that last couple possessions, especially that Arizona was just playing the game out as if it was just like 14 minutes left in the first half. You know, there's no reason that for the Umar Balo, you know, when he missed the first free throw, obviously not great, but you're talking about your seven foot one center, not exactly the best free throw shooter in the world. So it wasn't shocking that he was going to miss one of these free throws. Right. So that, that shouldn't have been a shocking thing to anybody. So he did. That's unfortunate. They have to either say, okay, Umar missed the shit out of this free throw, like long, off the backboard. You know, honestly, even a free throw that didn't hit the rim that they would have had a would have even been better than the the makes. Yeah, exactly. And then either say, hey, don't foul, but let's try and get a rebound. Let's muck it up. Or let's just pull everybody back to, to, you know, to three quarter court. And just, you know, set a wall essentially so no one can get past you. Just something. Give me something that's committed to the strategy. And if you lose as a part of that strategy, then shit happens sometimes. But at least the strategy was there to me. And I don't know if I'm off base or if you feel differently about this. To me, I just felt like they were just like, yeah, whatever happens, happens because there's two seconds left and nobody's going to hit a 70 foot shot, a 60 foot shot against us. But that's exactly what happens when you don't when you just don't do anything and I, I feel like, yeah, it w- I thought it was a pretty obvious situation. You miss this long off the back rim. You just huck it off the front rim. You even just hit the backboard, and then you get to set the chance uh, you, the chance to set up your defense. All of these options would have been better than just making the free throw because going up two with two seconds left with 94 feet to go does nothing for you defensively. And then, obviously, we saw what happened with that. And I know you could push back and say, oh, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Well, this weekend – how many buzzer beaters were there? Six, seven, eight, 12. You know, I mean, it does, it does happen though. So I think it's a learning experience, not just for the players, but even more so for Tommy Lloyd, where it's like, we need some, you know, passionate adherence to a strategy in the words of, uh, of, of Henry Ford, right? You you <laughs> have, you have to have some kind of goal here. Are we, what are we doing at the end of the game? And yeah. it, it just pick one, just pick one. It's kind of like, are you fouling up three or are you not fouling up three? Just let me know. We need to know something though. My last point on this, before we get to some of the other games, I think it is fair to question why Balo hit that second free throw. I think Tommy Lloyd after the game basically said, we were okay living with a three quarter shot. And I'm all right with that. I mean, I know you say like those go in sometimes, but I am okay with that. But if that's the case, if you're okay with living with a three quarter shot, then you got to also know that there's layers to that in the sense that a two, a two point lead does, you no good, cause you're still going to lose the game. And you got to know that if you miss that free throw again, we've said it, if you don't even draw rim, 
it's still better because you're able to set up your defense. So just, yeah, just mean, a, it's, it's just an annoying loss is what it was. It's, it's the same feeling I have about why NFL coaches, this is something I brought up on this program a dozen times at minimum, why NFL coaches can't figure out when to call timeouts. It's just math guys, like just add that or subtract in the college basketball situation. Like, okay guys, Hey, if we miss this free throw, we subtract a second from the two that they have left. Oh, that sounds like a better option than giving them two seconds. What you know? I mean, it's not it's not hard to figure out that a three point shot is going to beat you if you're up two. It, like it's just math, or like in the NFL, just add forty together three times, and you'll get you'll figure out when to call the timeouts. And it's baffling to me that like this is such a difficult thing to figure out in the highest levels of these sports. Yeah, well, that was I think that was arguably the best buzzer beater that we had but i want to get to some other all that being said now. it was su- super sick. it was awesome it, was <laughs> it really was i'll tell you what if there is going to be a time where this happened i kind of wish it wasn't on senior night but this is about as good of a time as you can get uh for that to happen to your favorite team against their rivals you can't so really I, argue with that i will say i did text a, a friend of the program at asu alum bryant newman and i said he fucking facetimed me man i said yo that was sick and he's like you don't actually feel that way and i'm like no i thought i fucking hated it but it was sick you know yeah so. yeah i mean look and it, it, that's how you take the venom out of their shit talking as well uh another great buzzer beater taylor iowa michigan state what an insane game this was michigan state just collapses down the stretch peyton sanford has hit Every huge shot for Iowa this entire year. We had the Fran stare down. Just so ridiculous. The Fran stare down, by the way. It's just reinforcing my thought that no matter how old we get, and when we're like 16 years old, 10 years old, we're looking at the adults like they have all the answers, and they're more mature, polished, refined than us. That's just not the case. Being a 32-year-old myself – I have crazy imposter syndrome at work. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I feel like I'm going to get canned any t- any day now. But apparently, I did an all right job this past year. I got a raise and I got a bonus. Humble brag. But you look at Fran McCaffrey, and he's just staring down the rep. They literally do a staring contest like two eight-year-olds on the playground. It was one of the most insane things uh, until I saw that Iowa comeback where they just – Iowa's been a crazy, crazy team all year. Michigan State in a bit of a rough patch here recently. Uh, what a game at Carver-Hawkeye. And by the way, uh, Iowa State – or excuse me, Iowa, Iowa's – Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark hit a game winner the next day. What a weekend there for Iowa hoops. I mean, they scored like 28 points in th- for like three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I don't think I don't know how you do that. I, I don't think we're like I, I I want anyone who's listening to this program right now with two minutes and 21 seconds left. Iowa had 76 points with two minutes and 21 seconds left at the end of regulation. They had a hundred and one. So, OK, I was off with my numbers a little bit there, but that is nuts. Some college basketball teams don't score that in a half. And they scored it in, in the Big minutes, Ten in two minutes. Yeah, right. Exactly. In the Big Ten. Well, it's. I'm so glad you brought up Caitlin Clark because she's such a star in college basketball. She's she's wonderful, and she really is prime time uh, TV. And so when you brought this up initially, when you said Iowa, I was like, oh man, are we already talking about Caitlin Clark right away. So I'm glad. I'm glad that got uh, got pigeonholed in here. But 
no, what a, you talk about um, uh, you know, Michigan State struggling. Man, how many games are you going to lose when you shoot 73% from the, from the three-point line? 73% from three in the Big Ten. 60% for the game from the floor, and you lose. Man, that, that's, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, you know, my I was boy, just Chris shocked. Bar- you know, uh, my boy, yeah. you know, my boy, Chris Murray went off, you know, uh, I, I'd hate to, I'd hate to have to talk about my Jerome pick for the big 10 tournament this early in the program before the Jerome, but I picked them at the beginning of the year. I might have to, uh, might have to pick them here in the uh, conference tournament. Also, if I win the Jerome, should I commit to naming my first son? Speaking of pregnancies, Jerome. Yeah. I think Italian name. Does that fall in line with the Italian <laughs> I don't, I don't uh, think so. criteria? But you know, I, I made fun of Fran, and I think a lot of people are writing way too many think pieces on this and taking it too seriously. We're getting we're getting people like Seth Davis, who I have a lot of respect for. I, I read Seth Davis, but he's talking about how much of a petulant child Fran is. Yeah, man, this is nothing new. Of course he's petulant. I guess if you're a rival of Iowa, you you get tired of his act. It's kind of I guess it's the same way with Bobby Hurley, but I mean, if this is Fran McCaffrey. What are you what are you expecting at this point? And I'll tell you what, after that stare down, that's when that crazy and insane comeback happened. So great stuff out of Iowa City, man. That was a lot of fun. Well, and as much shit as I give to someone like Bobby Hurley, and I actually, you know, maybe I'll walk that back because I don't think it's applicable in this situation as much. But but we as outsiders, right? only see what we see for the 40 minutes per game that we see, right? We don't know what fires each one of these players up individually. We don't know what gets the people going, you know, what's provocative, if I may. You know, it's that it's the coaches know. So if they know that getting a T here, you know, in NBA games, it's almost absurdly obvious when an NBA coach is going to get teed up, right? Like, a run is happening or not happening or however you want to phrase that. Right. Like we know that a, a T is coming sometimes because it's going to get, get the team fired up. So I'm not trying to defend these crazy college basketball coaches at times, but sometimes they know what's going to get the team going. And apparently Fran McCaffrey knows that like to a T like extremely well here. I tweeted this out a couple months ago. Just remember the name Peyton Sanford. If you're if you're a college basketball avid watcher, you know who he is. But he is going to sink monstrous shots. He is their shot taker. And if you're scouting Iowa and you're a close game, I, you might want to double that guy. He, I'm going crazy here. I'm going to go nuclear and I'm going to pull a hammy with this stretch. But he just reminds me of like Luka Doncic this year. Any big time shot, if Luka has the ball, I expect it to go in. If Peyton Sanford somehow gets the ball, I expect him to hit it for Iowa. Well, they're going to be such an interesting team uh, into the conference tournament, into March Madness. They're like one of the best, if not the best offensive team in the country. And they're like one of the worst, if not the worst defensive teams in the country. How that uh, applies to college basketball or the March Madness, that's going to be super interesting to watch because – the you know in the layman let's call it is is knows chris murray in some degree no like you said nobody knows um uh uh sanford excuse me nobody knows 
who this guy is outside of the college basketball world. And so everyone, I, I know that you're going to have, we're going to have people in bracket pools who are like, yeah, Chris Murray, Chris Murray, me, me too. I'm going to, I'm going to be Ryan Chris Murray the whole time too, but it's like, that's not even going to be the guy who's taking these shots down the stretch. Yeah. So uh, oh, crazy, crazy comeback there for Iowa, Florida state, Miami, let's head to the ACC. Miami is one of my dark horses. I don't even know if you want to call on the dark horse in the college basketball bracketology sphere to go to the final four, but I really do like them. They were dominating Florida state at home, almost like an Arizona ASU game. Arizona wasn't dominating ASU, but this is a rivalry game. Uh, Miami is at home and Florida state, they hit a, a buzzer beater as well. Uh, what is this? I mean, Florida state season is over. They're cooked and they just lost to Carolina last night. Are you concerned at all about Miami? I'm, I don't know if I am. Uh, I still love their guards, arguably the best backcourt in the entire country with Nigel Pack and Isaiah Wong. I think this was just a bit of a collapse. I still really like this Miami team, but did this give you any pause on the Canes? Uh, the only reason it gave me pause is they went scoreless for a significant amount of time. I mean, I think at halftime, I'm looking at it right now. At halftime, they had 54 points. Uh They'd only scored by the seven-minute mark in the second half. They'd only scored 14 points in the second half. For a team, like you said, has an extremely good backcourt, and you shouldn't go stretches for like six minutes without – not even without getting a bucket because I think that's an overrated stat at times. Oh, these guys haven't hit a field goal in five minutes. Well, if they've taken 14 free throws in that time, like that's okay. You know, they didn't score a single point for like five minutes. No free throws, no, not, no nothing. So that's, I don't think it's overly concerning. I guess the only concerning part would be is like, okay, so let's take that ASU game. ASU was playing for something, right? They have to stay in it. They have to win this game to have to stay in the, the hunt for the tournament. Florida State ain't got shit to play for at this point. They had eight wins coming into this game. Florida State sucked since, since November 2nd this year you know essentially they haven't had anything to play for the entire year so that would be my only concern um that being said uh yeah it's talking about a tale of two halves you know up 23 in the second in the first half and then lose this the second half by 24 that's concerning i know we're i'm sure we're about to talk about this game i'm sure we will remind me of penn state Rutgers a little bit there as well where you know uh Penn State blew a, what, 19-point lead with 12 minutes, 10 minutes left, you know? Like, that's obviously not ideal. But I'm a little less concerned about Miami because they've at least proven to me that they, they're they good. They've beaten some pretty good teams. You know, they only have six losses on the year so far. Um, they've got that good backcourt. And when it comes to March Madness, that backcourt is, is what wins games. And, you know, that's not just hyperbole. It's not just a, a, a statement. You know, I mean, it, that's, that's, it's true. And so I think they're going to be fine, but you, you can't, yeah, you, I, I guess if you, you want to learn these lessons in like January, not the second to last week of the year, but at least it's a lesson to them to be like, okay, again, 40 minute game, 40 minute game. Even if you're up 23 points heading into the second half, that doesn't mean you can just not score and, yeah. and things are going to be fine. I think it was a wake-up call for them. I'm not reading too much into this whatsoever. I think it was just one of those deals where you got to chalk it up to a crazy rivalry game. And Florida State, I guess you could say they were due. Like you said, eight wins coming in. 
And this is uh, that was their championship. That was definitely their championship. I mean, you mentioned ASU actually having real things to play for. I'm sure Leonard Hamilton and Florida State was saying, hey, let's put a little dent into Miami's seating. But you also talk about pedigree with Miami. Saw them last year handle a very good Auburn team with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler and route to the Elite Eight where they eventually lost to Kansas, even though they played them tough. I think they have that ingrained in their DNA. Jim Laranega is an unbelievable coach. And now they added Nigel Pack, of course, from Kansas State. I'm not too worried about the Canes, but a lot of fun to talk about at the very least. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jim Laranega is one of the most underrated, if not the most underrated coach in the country. You know, also, I can't believe it's taken us till February 28th to talk about. And maybe I've missed this on some of the programs I've missed this year. But is there a better name in college basketball than Wooga Poplar? Mm. He is an all name <laughs> team candidate. It has to be. Has to be. I just wanted to make sure we got that out there. Wooga Poplar. Look for him here. Uh, bracketologist here in a couple, just a week or two. Yeah, this game really didn't move me much, but we had to cover it because of the buzzer beater. Uh, that well, was and, and, and you're talking about a top 15 team that blew a 23-point halftime lead. That's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't imagine it'll happen again. This game, though, this one was a huge one. We probably should have led with this, actually. Wisconsin, Michigan, two teams that are on the bubble. Get Wisconsin the hell out of here, for the love of God. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about them and, and the rest of the bubble in, in a little bit, but I'm just so tired of Wisconsin. I didn't mind seeing their hearts get ripped out by Hunter. I'm not just a podcaster Dickinson. Uh, you want to talk about strategy there though, Taylor. So Wisconsin, Steve Lapis, man, I don't know why everyone keeps saying that Wisconsin should have fouled when they were up three. They played it perfectly. Okay. So they commit to not fouling. They get the block and the ball goes out with two seconds left under Michigan's hoop, which means they got to throw it basically to the three-point line. You give up the two. Fine. So I think Wisconsin played that absolutely perfectly up until, I mean, because that's the exact scenario you want to be in. You want to be in this, because everyone keeps saying, oh, they got to foul up three. Dude, at some point, the opposition is going to get a clean look and, and maybe not clean, but they're going to get a look and shoot a three to tie the game. You can't just foul until triple zeros. Like, did you expect Wisconsin to foul with two seconds left? Is that what you're asking them to do? That being said, when the ball comes in, Wisconsin defender goes for it, goes for the steal. If you're going to go for the steal, that's when you go all out tackle Hunter Dickinson. I don't give a shit, but if you're going to go for the steal, you have to at least make sure Dickinson does not corral it. And Wisconsin did not do that. So I would have argued, look, don't go for the steal. Just keep him in front of you. They didn't do that. Uh, and Dickinson, another amazing shot that brought Michigan from the NIT, essentially, into a position now where if they handle business, they're still on the bubble. They still got work to do. But they were they were dead in the water. This is one of those deals where you might look back and if they're in the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament, and again, Michigan last year went to the friggin' Sweet 16, you're going to look back on this Hunter Dickinson shot. So that was a lot to unpack there. I'm tired of people saying that Wisconsin should have fouled. They played it perfectly up until them trying to steal the ball. That was the issue. Yeah, I think was was Jordan Davis the, the defender on Dickinson at that time? Uh, it might have been. I'm not I sure. Think, I, I think it was. Uh, I'd have to uh, double check on that. Um, 
the only reason I say that is because it was either on Sports Center with, with SVP or Inside College Basketball, or someone said if if uh, if the defender was six foot five instead of six foot four, the game's over. <laughs> that, that's how close the ball was to getting uh, tipped away from. But Dickinson. my point is like, don't even I, go no, for I, the I don't even no, go I, for the steal. But if you do, if you do, yeah. go Terry, like. T- Terry Tate office linebacker. Ed yeah, Reed yeah, safety. Yeah. Yeah. Hardest hitting safety in the league. Darren Shaw. Yeah. No, I I understand. I, I, I'm i totally with you. And again, it's kind of like the ASU situation, whatever. It's like, oh, Hunter Dickinson is not going to hit a one second left, you know, f- you know, flip up from here. No, I don't. I don't buy that. But what a yeah, it's a miracle for Michigan. Really? Um, uh, it's a miracle because like bracketology still has Wisconsin in and Michigan out, which is a little shocking to me considering Wisconsin. Literally what just happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, that whole head to head matchup thing apparently doesn't matter. And then um, Wisconsin has a better conference record or excuse me, uh, Michigan is a better conference record significantly. They're 11 and seven and Wisconsin is eight and 10. So in, in the big 10, and I know that big 10 isn't having their best year of all time by any means, but you know, we're still talking about the Big Ten here. You know, a, a very high-level Power Five conference. Um, these are some teams that, as we've talked about before, like give me Charleston over either of these teams. Uh, as good as Hunter, yeah, as, yeah, as good as Hunter Dickinson is. I don't love the guy. We've talked about this a couple times as of late. A little ski mask Dickinson there. Um, you know, I don't love the guy. He's definitely got a little big for his britches. I think given that he doesn't really have the national prowess that I think that he thinks he does, if that makes sense. Um, neither of these teams are going anywhere. Let's, let's, let's put that, I think, away at this point. Either There's no way. I would I say there's last no, year about Michigan, though, too. But I would say there's no way that both these teams make the tournament, right? No, no, they shouldn't. It's, do you think there, there's a way that both these teams miss the tournament? Yeah, I think if okay. both of them like lose out. Well, I'm just saying there's yeah, there's a line, you know, they're like like Wisconsin's like tenth place in the Big Ten and they're making it, right? So yep. uh, yeah, I, I would say I would say if I had to guess one of them will make it and one of them will not, just going down the stretch. I actually think as bad as Michigan was for a stretch this year, they're probably the more dangerous team in March Madness just because of a guy like Hunter Dickinson. Um Wisconsin I just don't know what there is to like about this Wisconsin team. Uh, and to be honest with you, as much as I like John Rothstein, Greg Gard, silent assassin. I don't think, I mean, what is Greg Gard? What has Greg Gard really done? I guess in the last, I don't know. I've just not, I don't buy this, these, either of these teams. Um, I couldn't believe how all that being said, let's go back to this actual game. I was at putting world in Scottsdale with my family. A great, great new institution here in in Scottsdale. Uh, it's a bar, not like putt putt. It's like it's like putt putt extreme, uh, and it has a great bar. Anyway, watching this game as we were going around, and both my brother and I were like, "Oh, oh shit!" <laughs> like, because we thought the game was like was over. You know, we thought the game was over. Can't believe that uh, that shot by Dickinson. But I'm not counting on him to make a bunch of these type of miraculous moments down the stretch here. I think. Yeah, neither of these teams move me either. Yeah, they don't move me at all. But in terms of the stakes, I think everyone was saying loser is out. And I think somehow Michigan, or excuse me, Wisconsin. Apparently winner was out. Apparently apparently winner was out. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, Hunter Dickinson, man, good for you. It's kind of like, again, I'm 
hearkening back to Hurley, uh, he's taken a lot of shit. And a lot of it is stuff that he's brought upon himself with his antics and his talk. And uh, he's, he's a fine player, of course, but uh, he really saved Michigan season. I mean, when it came, when, when push came to shove and they needed to rely on their star Hunter, Michigan or Hunter Dickinson really came through uh, with, with that shot. And it was, it was a pure shot, man. He took that with confidence. You could tell that he took that with confidence. I, I would say some of the other shots, like the Florida state shot uh, was a little lucky. The ASU shot was lucky. This one I thought was a pure full confidence. Like I've practiced this, I can hit this and, and, and it did. And look, I mean, it should be mentioned that I don't think there's anything to like about Wisconsin either. I think Chucky Hepburn was out for a majority of that second half towards the end. He's been battling injuries, but I mean, yeah, neither of these teams I'm, I'm not terribly worried about come March, but again, we said that about Michigan last year. So let me tell you one thing, though, as much as maybe I, I don't dislike Hunter Dickinson necessarily, but I wish there was a little more Hunter Dickinson in Azulis Tabellas. Yeah, I wish he was a little bit more of a dickhead. Just not not a lot, not a lot. Just like a little bit more of a dickhead where it's like, hey, because Kirk Kreese is a huge shithead, like the number one shithead baby in college basketball, which I love, obviously, as an Arizona fan. If he wasn't an Arizona player, I'd hate him. But I wish there was a little bit more about about. Azula Sabellis were like, you're not going to beat me, and I'm the man, and fuck off. I wish there was a little bit more of that in Azula Sabellis as there is. Hunter Dickinson has too much of his, of it. I wish he would just maybe like loan a little bit of that to Azula Sabellis. Got to combine that player. I, I totally agree with you, man. A little bit more swagger, but I'll tell you what, Wisconsin and Michigan is, is slowly butting into a bigger rivalry over the last couple of years. You got the Greg Gard, Juwan Howard angle. You got the ski mask with Dickinson going into Madison when they lose and now potentially sinking Wisconsin's hopes. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of different Big Ten rivalries and, and border wars, things of that nature, but Wisconsin-Michigan is really heating up. It'd be a lot more fun if they were ranked opponents, I guess. Uh, real quick, last buzzer beater we want to get to, and I, I, I guess I'm doing them a disservice because every single year, every single year, it's San Diego State just staying around that 18 to 20 line uh, or ranking, I should say, and they lost a heartbreaker to Creighton. They probably should have beat Creighton last year in the NCAA tournament. They choked that one away. But San Diego State, they go into the pit, hit a game winner, and they're still dangerous, man. They're still dangerous. And we talked about them and how everyone thinks this is the other thing. You want to talk about the casuals and the narratives surrounding like Iowa and everyone's going to gravitate to Chris Murray. Everyone's going to say automatically, oh, yeah, San Diego State, their defense so tough. It's their offense, really. Uh, and they, they can play a little bit of defense as well, but their offense has been what's really been driving them. And so the Aztecs go into the pit and win. And we talked about New Mexico last week, Taylor, about how they were pretty much the last team to lose a game this season. And now they're probably on the outside looking in. Now, if it were up to me, I would rather a New Mexico in or a Boise State in over uh, Michigan, Wisconsin. But this might have put them in the camp of, all right, we got to win the Mountain West tournament. I would rather see Boise State in the New Mexico. And I would I'm actually, I, I would actually get a I would push back a little bit and say I would rather see see some of these uh, bottom tier power five schools than New Mexico because I just think they've played so poorly uh, in, in conference play or at least since the, the new year turned over. I, if they get in, I'm probably having them lose the first round to 
whoever they play. I just don't, I think I, I think in terms of redeeming qualities, they have very little, if none left. Um, so if you look at bracketology right now, they are the eighth team in the first four next four out, uh, behind teams like behind teams, like Michigan, a Clemson, even Texas tech is ahead of them. And quite honestly, I'd rather have Texas tech than New Mexico, given their most recent stretch. Um, a Charleston, a North Carolina, a Utah State is ahead of Penn State, still ahead of them, which I don't, I'm not for that personally. But um, you know, not to not to just deflect from this game, but San Jose State also beat that Boise State team that I just that I just talked about. Boise State had like a five minute stretch to end the game that they like didn't score either. But anyway, San Diego State, you said it best. This is what they do. Do what you do, right? This is what they do. It just just kind of grind these these um, uh, games out usually, and um, I'm not sure how I feel about you know some of these some of these Mountain West teams as we go into the tournament. They've obviously provided us great theater throughout the year. I think down the stretch they have maybe not been able to prove as good as they are uh, as much as I'd like to see them. Um, but a big win always when you go to the pit. One of the sneaky tougher places to play in college basketball that nobody really knows about anymore ask ask your dad ask your mom ask your uncle ask your really you know significantly older cousin about playing at the pit in this in the 80s and 90s one of the best places to play in college basketball lute olsen arizona refused to go back to the pit after some uh scoring discrepancies there uh in the 90s as well so anytime you go into the pit and get a win uh especially with a three at the buzzer Boy, that feel that feels good, especially if you're San Diego State, really cementing themselves. I mean, they were already ranked. We knew they were in the tournament, but really cementing themselves as a team to watch going forward into the tournament. And it just seems like it's just what they do. I've seen this movie before. This is what they do, and and really one of the more underrated programs I think in the country. We talk about the West Coast teams in Gonzaga, UCLA, and Arizona, of course. San Diego State has always been right there. And we always say, hey, yeah, 15 to 20 range, always. They seemingly are always the third best team in the West or the fourth best team in the West at worst, no matter what's going on around them. So I would, you know, I don't know, selfishly is not the word, but I I would like to see them take a step up in the future. They have every, they have everything to be um, a perennial top 15 team in the country. I'd like them to see them get a little more and maybe, maybe this is their year to do that. Yeah. Brian Dutcher, another guy along with Jim Laranega is one of the most underrated coaches. He takes over for Steve Fisher. They just never miss a beat. They never, ever miss a beat, like you had said. So credit to well, San Diego State. Viejas Arena, uh, speaking of sneaky good places to play, yeah. v- Viejas Arena is maybe a top 15 venue in the country. Re- I, mean, I, I think it really, it really is. And it, it got talked about a lot 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when this program was really starting on this run that they're on now. The show, as their as their uh, student section is called, is one of the best student sections in the country. Don't feel like it gets enough play uh, nationally. Yeah, marvelous, marvelous weekend. Like I said, it, they, the the college basketball. If it was a person, it started getting the poops and and the peas a block and a half away because it knows March is coming. Lot lot of fun this past. Can I week. can I comment on that statement? By the way, if mm, if I if I please. may. That's that's me when I get home from a trip. Let what do you get to, mean? 
like that's my feelings when I get home from a trip. I'm very subdued in that department. Let's put it that way. When I'm on a trip away from home base, when I get back home, that's oh, yeah. that's when that feeling happens to me. Yeah. So we'll see what uh, the rest of this March month has for us. All right. I am uh, wanted to just really quickly talk about some of the bubble teams here, Taylor, and we've talked about them. All right. Lunardi, last four buys, right? So we got Pitt, Nevada, Memphis, West Virginia. West Virginia beats Iowa State last night. God, I really don't want West Virginia in, but they're making a case to be in. And by the way, Iowa State is slowly playing themselves to the bubble, slowly playing themselves to a point where they might have to worry and sweat a little bit uh, during Selection Sunday when they were atop the Big 12 at, at a point this season. So Iowa State looks terrible terrible right now. And I was going to lump them in with Rutgers, but Rutgers at least got it done at Penn state. I, I, I don't think you'd, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a team playing worse than Iowa state. So those are the last four buys. Uh, and then the last four in Oklahoma state, USC, Wisconsin, Mississippi state, first four out Penn state, Utah state, North Carolina, who just beat, uh, uh, they beat Virginia and then they just beat, uh, who did they just beat uh, last night? Florida State. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then the next this four is, out. This bracketology is pre them beating Florida State, by yes. the way. Yes, correct. And then Texas, the next four out, Texas Tech, Clemson, Michigan, New Mexico. So just a few bones to pick here. First of all, uh, Clemson. I kind of want them in the tournament. They are such a weird team. They faltered a little bit, but they beat the absolute hell out of NC State and also Syracuse the last two times. I think Clemson should be somewhat safely into this field. I think North Carolina is going to end up making it. I think they're going to beat Duke in the Dean Dome, maybe secure a win or two in the ACC tournament, and they should be in. I've made my opinions very clear on Wisconsin. Get them the hell out of there. Last four buys, you got Memphis. I don't know why they're even on the bubble. I think they're also, they should safely be in 20 plus win yet again for Penny Hardaway. And I've, again, being accountable last season, I think we questioned Penny Hardaway's chops. I was wrong about that. He's, he's a good coach and I don't know what Memphis fans or maybe some others are expecting of them, but this is pretty good. Uh, I would, I would get Memphis and Clemson off of the, I mean, shit, get Clemson into the tournament. Uh, USC has a big weekend upcoming Pitt is leading the ACC get them safely. And I just don't want to see them in that bubble range. Uh, and then West Virginia, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting with West Virginia. I think they're the one team that is going to either have their heart broken or they're going to be elated on selection Sunday. Any takeaways here from Lunardi's bubble? Yeah. I mean, Pittsburgh leading the ACC, it would be hilarious to see the leader of the ACC knock it in just given just being a PAC 12 fan and knowing that, that has almost happened uh, before. I think that would be hilarious. But to keep this short, um, as the as the known rambler here, I, let me just pick the eight teams I think I are going to get in out of this group here: Pittsburgh, USC, Memphis, North Carolina, Charleston, Clemson, USC, Oklahoma State, Mississippi State. I think those are the eight of the of these 16 teams that we just referenced that are going to get in out of there. So do you think Charleston is going to get in as an at-large? I don't know, but they're a super attractive Jerome pick. I will tell you that. Um, also, I will say, not that we have talked about this, ad, or not that we've talked about this a lot uh, during this, 
I just want everyone to keep in mind if they're involved in the Jerome to keep in mind to remember that Gonzaga is the two seed in the West Coast Conference. Let me just throw that out there. Okay, I hate, to get, I, I hate to give secrets away at a time like this. But anyway, um, I think Charleston should make it as an at-large bid. I personally do. And I feel like if they make it to their conference championship game, that that should be enough uh, for them. I think they're I think they're good enough to get in at that time. Um, you can miss me with Penn State. You can miss me with Michigan and New Mexico. Um, you can miss me with Wisconsin. I don't. Yeah, again, I don't know why Memphis is on the bubble. Nevada means nothing to me. Um, the only other team I would say that has an opportunity to get in that I didn't name is is Texas Tech. It, Texas Tech is on the run. No, they're done. I no, think they're I, done. I just, All right, yeah, I think they got to go Big Twelve title now. The the T, if they beat TCU, then yes, they were surging, but they needed that TCU win. So I'm done with Texas yeah. Tech. The the teams that just disgust me from this list, um, West Virginia, and that's a begrudging disgust because I know they play in an unbelievable conference. And they're actually playing I actually pretty well want up. and want and like West Virginia to get in just as in a general sense because because of Huggy Bear. I don't actually I suppose, think they, they have 13 losses, man. I don't think they should like, get in. I don't think they should get it. I'm just thinking from a personal, if I, if I take, if I just pull my biases in, I should say, I always like rooting for West Virginia for some reason. Like it's crazy that they're lumped in with a pit in Memphis to me. Maybe, and, it's, and maybe like, it's just because I want John Denver to be played after yeah, every win. You know, that's fair. That's it's extremely personal bias. So uh, Nevada's playing their way to the, to out, out of the field. Uh, recently here. Wisconsin, get the hell out of here, please. Oklahoma State, too. Uh, wow. You did not you did not get past me, Oklahoma State. Get out of here as well. I'm sorry. Uh, they just lost to uh, last night. I'm, I'm trying to remember who. Oh, Baylor. I mean, look, that Baylor's incredible. But I think Oklahoma State was favored. Or maybe they were only like plus two or something like that, and they lost by 15. Uh, get Oklahoma State out of there. Yeah, Penn State, I'm a Michael Shrewsbury guy, but that Rutgers game was a backbreaker. Um, Carolina, I love Carolina. And I, look, if someone said, if someone just came out and said they're in because of the name cachet, I'd be like, fine. Yep. The, yep. The, the only, the only other thing I would say, everyone's pissing and moaning and you might push back on me. Everyone's pissing and moaning about Duke Carolina getting game day. Sorry, bub. That's the breaks. It's the best rivalry in all of sports. Carolina needs this. It means something to Carolina. Maybe not necessarily to, to Duke, but that's still a big game. Uh, and I like agree the with you worst, on the, next the worst Duke North Carolina game. It's like, still going to deliver. I'll I guarantee. Know. Oh, I know. Delivers. I know. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying it's not like we're talking about two unranked teams fighting for the bubble. You know, essentially. I mean, Duke's in. Duke's not good, but they're in. Um, not a team I'm taking far in the tournament, by the way. Duke, uh, North Carolina is. Not good either, but they are a little worrisome just given – I mean, I don't want – I don't think they're good. Nobody thinks they're good, but they are worrisome given that what happened last year, right? Can lightning yeah. strike twice? Probably not, but they are still worrisome. Yeah. Uh, and then give some love to my guy, Brad Brownell. Get get Clemson in the tournament, please. Uh, those are just some of the gripes that I had with the bubble, of course. That's going to play out over the course of the next couple of weeks. All right, Taylor, let's go ahead, get to – uh, your bets in my belly after 
this quick message. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from No Credentials Required to talk to you about one of our newest partners at Belly Up Sports, SeatGeek. Yeah, live sports is great on television, but the feeling of being at the arena is a priceless experience. That's why our friends at SeatGeek are there to help you find the best tickets at the best prices. Not only can you get tickets to sporting events, we can also get tickets to concerts, comedy shows, musicals, and more. Search for your desired event now at SeatGeek.com, enter promo code BellyUpSports at checkout, and you save 20 bucks off your first purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. All right, Taylor. Uh, let's recap here real quick. You're 17 and one on or 17 and 21, excuse me, on the season. We only have a couple more weeks left of this. I'd like to see us get over 500. Last time you gave us some winners or a winner, sorry, Texas Tech uh, plus two and a half against Oklahoma. That was before, of course, they lost to TCU. Air Force minus two and a half against Fresno State. Kind of shocking. Fresno State defeated them. And then Xavier minus Dude. five and a half against Nova. Nova just straight up won. That Fresno State game was the dumbest game I've ever watched in my life. Uh, that team's horrible. Terrible. Anyway. Anthony, Anthony the Hammer Williams, I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, before I get to my bets, I want to make sure I, I make a point here, and I think you're going to be along with me in this point because we're going to have a lot of talks about seeding and futures and everything here over the next couple of weeks. Oh, this team should be a two. This team should be a three. This team should be a one. What everyone likes to talk about is the team they root for winning and the team they're supporting winning, whatever. But we have to remember the teams lose, right? And so when someone pushes back on you, oh, in Arizona shouldn't be a two seed, this, that, or the other, whatever. It's like, okay, well, not every single team in front of them is going to win because someone has to fucking lose games too. So I just want, I'm not saying that this is a pro or anti anybody, but we always overly focus on the teams that we root for or against and often forget that generally college basketball doesn't see 365 wins each week, right? It's it's generally more of like 182 to 183. No, Taylor. No, 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 no. Everyone told me that we all everyone sucks because they're not 2015 Kentucky. I just want to point that out as we dive in here to March. This has nothing to do with my bets. It's just something I want to point out as as a discussion we have every year where it's like, okay, guys, you have to remember that the eight teams in front of whoever is they want some of them are gonna have to lose. Okay. So anyway, let's move on. Speaking of a team, speaking of losses, let's talk about a team that's lost more than we anticipated this year, perhaps. That's the Michigan State Spartans. It's March. No, it's not March, Sub. It's January, February. Help me out. Sorry, I was on mute. Izzo. Thank you. January, February, Izzo. And although tomorrow is February, today is February 28th, it's close enough to March for me to root for or to pick the Michigan State Spartans on the road minus three and a half at the Nebraska Cornhuskers. It's that time of year. There's no real analysis into this other than it's the time of year that these teams that are Izzo led start to win these games on the road that push them and propel them into and through March madness. So Michigan state minus three and a half at Nebraska. Secondarily, a team we just talked about San Diego state. Mm, you'd think I'd be all over them giving, uh, giving how I just complimented them so highly, but they have to go on the road to a team that might be another Jerome pick of mine. And that's the Boise state Broncos, Boise state, favored by one at home over San Diego State. 
I think these teams, Sue, tell me if I'm wrong, I think these teams are pretty equal, really close, mm-hmm. really close. The records obviously would indicate that. Um, I think Boise State essentially in a pick at home uh, coming down the stretch. Extra Mile Arena, formerly the Taco Bell Arena, which I really would prefer if they would have kept their name as the Taco Bell Arena. Uh, a little more name cachet, if you ask me. Um, although well, Extra Mile, Extra Mile, great gas station, though. And and if you want to add a layer of non-analysis to this pick, Boise State minus one, uh, Roberto Bergerson, our boy. Mm, also, also that. And um, I'll also roll with my sister and brother-in-law being Boise State uh alumni uh much so closer guess, to us yes even though even though i am usually anti-boys i'm an, so anti-boise state in football but i'm so pro pro boise state in basketball uh, that's a lot to unpack i'll have to figure that out in my own time um third and final is the kent state golden flashes minus seven and a half let's get some action going at the memorial anc center so also mac uh in the action the area there uh, Kent State, in my opinion, best team in the MAC in the Mid American Conference. Toledo leading that conference right now, though. Uh, Kent State has to continue this these winning ways to get you know the top seed in their conference on the way into the tournament. Um, nothing really to report about Ohio. Um, they're a good team, seventeen and twelve on the year, but they're terrible on the road, four and ten. So we're going to go Kent State, good team, undefeated at home this year, Kent State is. So that's Kent State, minus seven and a half. That's Boise State in a pick essentially, at minus one. And that's Michigan State, minus three and a half. We're going to make this January, February Taylor, all right? These picks are wow. coming to win. Wow. That's, that's a lot. We're coming to this, all right, T? That's a lot. It's a lot of pressure, but I think I can handle it. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead. Get on out of here now on some good things. Uh, I can actually start first here. I'm going to go back to the home state, the Commonwealth, Merrimack, Joey Gallo. Certainly not talking about the baseball player, but I am talking about the Merrimack head coach who's done a wonderful job over the last couple seasons there in North Andover. Merrimack wins uh, the NEC and they're them along with UMass Lowell. They're having a, a lot of fun. Uh, great, great inspiration, anticipation for those two teams going into their conference tournaments. Uh, but Merrimack basketball, man, they're, I, I hope they can punch their ticket to the dance. Uh, but I, a little spoiler, I, I actually got fairly Dickinson because Merrimack's actually sub 500 leading the NEC, but they are sub 500. Uh, but I got, I got fairly Dickinson probably coming out of that conference tournament, but still I want to give a uh, shout out to Joey Gallo and uh, Merrimack there for putting the the state on notice. And, and I actually genuinely think he's probably going to get a mid major, a real mid major job here soon and continue to climb the ranks. I love him and I love Matt Lang. Those are two of my guys. Matt Langle, I think, won Coach of the Year again in his conference. Uh, but this is about Merrimack. This is about Joey Gallo. Great thing, Merrimack basketball. Taylor, what do you got? I'm glad you brought up baseball spring training here in Phoenix right now. Trying to figure out. It's always tough because you're trying to figure out which games to go to that don't uh, coincide with uh, conference tournaments and uh, March Madness in general, you know, World Baseball Classic also this year. And it's like, well, would I like to go to the USA versus the uh, the Dominican Republic? 
uh, baseball game in the World Baseball Classic? Yes, that's like a that's like better than a World Series game from a talent perspective, right? But is it during a Farley Dickinson UMass game, Iowa game? I don't know. Maybe I'm just a crazy person that would rather see uh, Chris Murray hit a game winner over Farley Dickinson than watch, uh, you know. Not crazy at all. This is an up yeah, for debate. <laughs> well, at least what not are you on this. About? You'd be crazy to go watch baseball. At least not on this podcast, right? So, um, so my good thing is actually tournament related, and it's on the theme of this program, buzzer beater related. The A Sun tournament started last night, and of course, in March Madness or fe- end of February Madness tradition, uh, Justin Betts hit a game winner in the final second to advance Bellarine over North Florida into the second round of the A Sun tournament. Really. No better first pitch, if I may, uh, into March Madness and the conference tournaments than a buzzer beater to lead us off in the first game of conference tournaments. So pretty awesome for for Justin Betts and Bellarine. I can't stress it enough. We got the bubble guts. We're a block away. We're a block away. March is here, folks. I cannot wait. We're going to get on out of here, though. Enjoy conference uh, championship week over the next couple weeks, and we will have our Jerome picks tomorrow. Thanks for listening.